Well, let's jump right into the Word of God today. Immediately after the preaching of God's Word, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. So we want to get right into the Word. As Eric said, please turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and we will be looking at verses 1 to 5 this morning. A very, very important passage, and I probably say that frequently, but this is an area of truth that we cannot ignore. Let's read what the Word of God says. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Heavenly Father, as we sang just a little bit earlier May the preaching of your word and the word working in our hearts and lives have success. May we glean and grasp and comprehend the truths outlined here in this passage of 1 Timothy. And as always, may we not be only hearers of your word, but active doers, putting to practice what we are learning today. Lord, open up our hearts to be able to comprehend the truths of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, we finished 1 Timothy chapter 3 last week, and after Paul gave those grand truths of our common confession as the church of the living God, which is in chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Paul now in chapter 4 switches topics to some degree to what some might consider, as you read this, to be a downer. To some people, it might be offensive. To some, it might be uncomfortable, even unimportant, or it might make you feel a bit uneasy, perhaps. Again, we just scaled the mountain peaks of high Christological theology last week concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we as the church must believe and confess those great truths concerning the good news and who Christ is and what he has come to do and that those truths must be the front and center of the church of the living God, our church, God's church. But as you can see, Paul switches gears in verse 1 of chapter 4. However, the topic in chapter 4 is very much closely related to the previous verses. Paul starts verse 1 of chapter 4, if you look there, by using the word but, or de, in the Greek. And he uses this word to contrast what he just said in the previous verses of chapter 3. He's saying, absolutely, yes, there is truth that we must confess, that we must proclaim, that we must know. In fact, the church is the pillar and ground 
of the truth, and he is telling Timothy, his protege, this, constantly reminding Timothy as a pastor to know the truth that we must confess. However, there is also deception and lies contrary to the truth of God. And those deceptions and lies, they must be exposed, they must be denounced, they must be avoided, and they can break into the household of God, and we must be aware of them, just as Paul is making Timothy aware of the false doctrine and deceptive doctrines of false teachers that have come into the Ephesian church. Now, when it comes to fighting the good fight of the faith, when it comes to being the pillar and support of the truth, the church of God must never get complacent or indifferent as if there is no false doctrine out there, as if there is no enemy trying to infiltrate and remove people, snatch people away from the truth. And as, and as Jude said in, in Jude 3, 4, right at the top, I was going to write to you about our common salvation, but I thought it to be best that I write to you about our faith that was once and for all handed down to us for which we must contend. And so one way the household of God ought to conduct itself is to be aware of false teachings and teachers and to deal with it accordingly so that people's faith is not upset or so that people don't fall away, apostatize from the truth. Paul here gives Timothy a very serious warning about false teachers who propagate doctrines of demons, as he calls it. False and dangerous teachings that find their source in none other than Satan. Because it is Satan who wants nothing more than to drag people away from the truth of Christ, from the gospel, from being saved, from knowing God relationally. And so what Paul says here in chapter 4 is not a downer, but it's a necessary warning that all of us must heed. Aren't we all thankful for warnings in life? Cautions. There's a tornado coming. Get in the basement. There's a train crossing. Stop the car. You have a cavity. Get a filling. <laughs> Paul is warning Timothy of false teachings and teachers to rebuke, reprove, Rid the church of anything that opposes the truth and causes irreparable damage. Again, two times in this book alone, Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight. Our Christian life is, in one sense, a fight, a battle, not just against our own personal sin, but also against those teachings that seek to come in and destroy people's faith. There is a fight as well because we live, as Paul will say, we live in the last days. And evil, there's like an uptick, there's an uprise, there is a plethora of demonic activity whereby Satan knows his end and he wants to do anything in his limited power to draw people away from God. Paul had a Timothy to remind Timothy, I'm sorry, Paul had, a, had to remind Timothy, his young disciple, of Timothy's obligation as a pastor, a shepherd. And as verse 6 of chapter 4 says, 
in pointing out these things to the brethren, because when you do that, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, because there are these dangerous doctrines infiltrating the church, and like a cancer, if they are not dealt with, they will spread, right? We hear Jesus saying that. We hear Paul saying that. They'll spread like gangrene. It's like yeast that starts very small and then starts to spread, before it's too late and then people fall from the faith, reject the truth, depart from the only saving grace there is through Jesus Christ. Timothy's a pastor. He has to point these things out. This is what faithful pastors do. A lot of pastors, a lot of elders neglect this because we live in an age where people tell churches and pastors that, you know, if you bring up false teaching and false teachers, that's just... That's depressing. No one's going to learn from that. Um, it's a downer. You'll offend people. But a shepherd, a real shepherd of the flock, like King David, he would thwart off um, wolves and bears, those things that would come in and be a potential danger to the flock. Well, this is what a pastor does. This is one of his many responsibilities to the church and to deal with it. It's indispensable. And pastors are actually in good company. For just about every single New Testament book, plus much of the Old Testament, especially the prophets in the Old Testament, warn of false teachings and prophecies. And yes, and at times, even names names of those so that believers know who to look out for and what they are teaching. Because these false teachers are disseminators of deceit. Even Paul in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy warned about Hymenaeus and Alexander who were blasphemers. If you remember the first part of 1 Timothy chapter 1, immediately Paul starts telling Timothy in verse 3 to command certain people not to teach what? Strange doctrines. Strange and verse 4 keeps on going in chapter 1, not to pay attention to myths, lies, and endless gene genealogies. And don't be engaged with those who are engaged in fruitless discussion. And warn those who misuse and abuse the law. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, a well-known verse, Paul reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy to preach the word always, in season and out of season, because there is a time coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. They will endure more strange doctrines. They will rather want their ears tickled by false teachers who are in accordance with their own desires, and they meaning those who are listening to the false teachers, will turn away their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. In Titus chapter 1, verse 8, Paul exhorts Titus to not only exhort in sound doctrine, but to also reprove those who contradict. Contradict what? The truth, the gospel, the teaching found in the word of God. And now here in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, starting at verse 1, we see Paul returning to what he began in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. 
After he talks more about the conduct and confession of the church in chapters 2 and 3, now in 4, he returns to talking about these insidious doctrines that are coming into the church through the means of false teachers. And to hang our points, our uh, headers, um, so we have something to follow here, there are five distinctions that I want you to see here in this passage, five distinctions of false teaching. All right, the first one that we see, and we're going to spend more time probably in verse one. There's a lot there. But what we see, number one, is the unsurprising reality of false teaching. The unsurprising reality of false teachers. That's right at the top, at the get-go of verse one. What does Paul say there? But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away. Paul talks about the Holy Spirit here. That the Spirit says this. The Holy Spirit. Through Paul. Explicitly. It's expressly said. It's clearly said. This is not muddy waters here. He says that in later times some will fall away from the faith. What does Paul mean by this? The Spirit explicitly says. Well, almost every time he uses the word Spirit, as he did in verse 16, speaking of Jesus being vindicated by the Spirit, Paul mostly refers to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Because the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. The Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, speaks these things about which Paul the Apostle writes. As an apostle, the Holy Spirit would have spoken these things through Paul, as he has in other writings. Uh, Let me give you just a few verses here, actually a handful of verses, where Paul speaks on this same matter of false teachings, especially in the later times. Acts 20, 29 and 30. Paul, speaking to the Ephesian elders, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things to do what? To draw away the disciples after them. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2, 16-18. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk, whose talk? The false teacher's talk, will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. 2 Timothy 3.1, actually this whole part of 2 Timothy, Paul talks about these latter times and what's going to arise. He says, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. And in verse 13 of 2 Timothy 3, but evil men and imposters will Proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul is not the only one through whom uh, the Holy Spirit spoke. He has spoken through Peter, Jude, John. Second Peter chapter three, verse three. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. First John, First John two. Verse 18, the apostle says, Children, it's the last hour. And just as you heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Jude 18, they said to you, 
the apostles, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. Even Jesus many times warned about the coming of false messiahs and teachers and to be on the lookout for them. Matthew 24, Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. The Bible is replete with warnings about false teachers and their content of teaching and their immoral, unholy conduct. It's like the Holy Spirit is telling all of us, see, I'm telling you in advance that these things will happen. And the closer we get to the coming of Christ, they're just going to escalate. So Timothy is warned, and we, as the church of the living God, are warned. We should never be caught off guard when we see the proliferation of false teachers spewing aberrant teachings and people who have professed faith in Christ falling away from the faith. We have seen that in our day and age where people who we thought were believers all of a sudden are speaking against the truth of the gospel of Christ. The Spirit warned us, has told us clearly. But Paul goes on and he says that this will happen in later times. Well, what does Paul mean by later times? Is he talking about, it's not going to happen right now, Timothy, but hundreds of years down the road, that's when the false teachers are going to make their entrance. Well, actually, this term, which is, as you heard in the other verses, is used frequently, latter times, later times, it actually has to do with a period of time. In fact, we are currently living in the last days. This is the time period in which the Holy Spirit, as we see in Acts 2, which Peter quoted from Joel 2, and related the last days to being the time when the Holy Spirit is poured upon people. And this is the time when the gospel is being preached, when the church is growing, especially Gentiles are coming into faith. We are currently in the last times and it's before the time Christ returns and sets up his earthly kingdom. From the time of Christ and especially his resurrection until the apostles all the way to now, there has been a relentless upsurge of error and lies being taught within the church and without. Again, we shouldn't be caught off guard. While there will be and there has been this increase of false doctrine. Paul isn't telling Timothy that, will, that false teachings will occur in the far distant future. No, he's telling him, they're there now. And you as a pastor, have, you have to deal with it right away. This is not something that you just put off, have a meeting about, and then maybe someday deal with it. No, they were already on the rise during that time. That's why he is warning of Timothy so he can handle it right away. This is why these things are in the Bible, so that we as pastors especially can reprove error and rebuke those trying to teach it, mainly if that false teaching comes into the church. One of our duties is to be like watchmen on a wall, looking out for any enemy that might be encroaching upon the church so that we can warn others that there's this false teacher, this doctrine that you must steer clear of. And while you might think, well, that's just for pastors, it's also for all of us. 
But we are all called to be um, students of the word and those who are on the lookout for these things. All Christians must know and study the truth so that they may be able to spot a liar when they see one, a false teacher when they see one. And if you yourself are involved in reading a false teacher, that you would hopefully run away from that. And perhaps you might even see someone who you love dearly in the church reading something they shouldn't be reading, watching sermons on YouTube they shouldn't be watching, following a teacher they should have no right to be following because that teacher is going to upset and confuse their faith. And we have to lovingly and graciously help others to come out of that false teaching. Well, some people might think, though, well, I'm, I just don't feel right telling so-and-so not to read an author. It's just not my position. It's, it's uncomfortable uh, to do that. Well, don't forget that Timothy, as a pastor, he was also a timid man. Second Timothy 1. Paul said, the Lord has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a power of sound mind. And, and we do so, we tell people these things out of love, out of care and concern, so that they would align with the truth rather than align with doctrines of demons. If you saw someone who was about to drink some poison, would you say, eh, I just feel uncomfortable telling them? No, it would be immediate. Don't drink that. It will kill you. Don't watch that false teacher. Your faith is at risk. Paul says in Romans 16, 17, and 18, I urge you, brothers and sisters, urge to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. So that's the unsurprising reality of false teaching. Number two, distinction of false teaching is this, and that's in the second part of verse one. The dangerous result or consequence of false teaching. The dangerous result of false teaching. Paul goes on to say some, not all, but some will fall away from the faith. Fall away. That word fall away is the word from which we get our word, apostasy or apostatize. It's used about 14 times in the New Testament, and it almost always speaks of those who fall away from something. Those who deliberately, and that's a key aspect, who deliberately, rebelliously reject or depart from the core teaching of Christ, the apostolic doctrine, and the word of God, from the truth of the gospel. Paul is not saying that people who truly believed and are saved can lose their salvation. Faith here, this word faith, is not belief or trust in Christ. Rather, it has to do with the body of doctrine, the truth, the gospel, that which brings us to a knowledge of Christ and God and his word and to salvation. This is what these some have fallen away from which leads ultimately to unbelief and judgment in hell. This is the devastating result of those who rebelliously pay attention 
to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Those who apostatize were truly never saved to begin with. And that is an area of contention and debate. But we know that those who truly belong to God are his forever. He keeps them, Jude. He keeps us, end of Jude. He will never desert them. He preserves them. They can never ultimately fall away. Christians might sin at times. They might get caught up with a false teacher, but the Lord will snatch them from that. When I got saved, I'm thankful for the church I was a part of and through some of the, uh, the people who discipled me, but I was caught up in a number of false teachings. I was reading books that no Christian should even step close to. And sadly, and I, I wish someone would have warned me, but no one did. The Lord started um, bringing to me through books and preaching other good preachers and theologians that took me away eventually from false teachings. Look, if you know someone who is reading something they shouldn't be reading or watching, please inform them out of love for them. Those who indefinitely fall away from the faith, who apostatize, who rebel, who reject the truth, they might be those who come to church every Sunday. They might be those who fellowship with believers, hear the word of God, give some kind of evidence in their life that they're believed. They might even profess that they're Christians, but they fell away. We see this in Hebrews 3, verse 12. Hebrews 3, 12, take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, and this is key, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Unbelief. These who apostatize deliberately walk away from the truth. And like a fish attracted to fake bait, they get lured away by what is false and pay the serious consequences of going to hell, receiving God's judgment because, as Thessalonians says, they didn't love the truth. They didn't love the gospel. They loved error more than the truth. That is the ultimate danger of false teaching. It leads people to hell. It leads people away from Christ, from the gospel, from godly living, from holy lives, away from God. And that brings us to our next distinction, number three, the demonic origin of false teaching. The demonic origin of false teaching. We see this at the end of verse one and verse two. See, those people who fall away, those who apostatize, uh, they are those who, instead of paying, to the, paying attention deliberately to the truth and being influenced by the Holy Spirit, they instead pay attention to what Paul calls deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. When he says pay attention, that word implies a continual paying attention. And they're gripped. They can't help, they want to. They continue down the path of, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna soak this false teaching up. I'm gonna keep reading the false teacher. I'm gonna keep listening. I'm paying attention to false teaching and doctrines of demons. These two descriptions that Paul gives, deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, tell us the origin, right, the source, and the nature of all 
false teaching. Number one, all false teaching, as Paul said, is deceitful, deceitful spirits. It's a lie. It's falsehood. It's contrary to the Christian truth that we know in the word of God. And number two, false doctrine comes from the spiritual realm. It comes from those spirits who are fallen. This isn't a doctrine about demons. I can stand up here and teach you about demons from the word of God, but this rather is talking about the source of false doctrine, the source from which the teaching comes, and that's from demons, from Satan himself. This is why false teaching is so dangerous. It's not innocent, okay? It's not innocent. It's not okay to ever dabble with any false teaching. Would you ever let your child go play in a cobra's nest? Why would we ever want to play around with false doctrine? Even one drop of poison in a large glass of water is enough to bring someone down. False doctrine is lethal. And so the source of false teaching is the spiritual realm, the realm of Satan, and Satan is lethal. He hates God, and he hates those who know God, and he doesn't want anyone to know God. Look at, the, look at verse 2. The primary way... Satan gets people to walk away from the truth is not by showing up in a red costume with horns and a pitchfork. It's through men. It's through people who smoothly speak lies, that which is opposite of the truth. And these people, these false teachers, are ministers of deceit. They're not ministers of the gospel. Paul says in verse 2 that these doctrines or teachings of demons operate through those who are hypocritical liars. See, Satan too has ambassadors. He too has agents. And they're all over the place. And he uses them to spread his lies so that people would apostatize, would fall away and not believe in God. We know that Satan is a liar from the beginning, is he not? Who did he lie to first? Humans, humanly speaking, Adam and Eve, Genesis 3. Did God really say? That was in the garden. Satan is the master of deceit. He lies about many things. And he's crafty, as Ephesians 6 says. He's scheming. It's like a snake. He lies about who God is and what God has said and what God has done. He lies about who Christ is genuinely who Christ is. He tells people that God's word really is not the word of God. Or he tells some people that the word, you know, part of the word of God is God's word, but not all of it. He tells sinners saved by Christ, believers, that they are still guilty and they need to work hard to maintain their salvation. Do this, do that. He blinds unbelievers to the truth so that they might not be saved. 2 Corinthians 4 he tempts people with worldly pleasures, the lust of the eyes, of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, telling them that the pleasures of the world are far superior and better than the pleasures of God. He has many lies in his quiver of arrows that he can shoot at people and he uses men who are hypocrites, men who tell people to live a certain way but they won't lift a finger 
Their lives do not comport with what they are teaching. Do this, do that, do this, but not me. I'm full of lust, greed, immorality, indulgence. These false teachers are, in a sense, pharisaical. As Ronaldo was saying earlier, in terms of whitewashed tombs, they appear to be religious, dazzling on the outside, but are full of dead men's bones on the inside. And they love and revel in their sin, while at the same time speaking lies to drag people with them into hell. Now you might see a man or a woman teaching, and sometimes the greatest speakers are false teachers. But behind that teacher is the operation of demons. Just like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, behind an idol is a demon. As Ephesians 6, verse 12 says, Paul says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Yeah, there's, there's blood and flesh, a man preaching, and he's in the wrong, and he will bear his judgment if he is a false teacher or a woman. But behind that is an agent of Satan using him to propagate falsity and error. See, false doctrine is devious. You'll never hear a false teacher say, here, I'm going to tell you something that goes against the word of God. Truth is usually mingled with false doctrine because Satan disguises himself as what? An angel of? light and his ministers disguise themselves as second corinthians eleven fifteen says ministers of righteousness and the sad thing about these ministers of pretend righteousness these hypocritical liars as the rest of verse 2 says of first timothy 4 is that their consciences uh, that that warning system that the Lord has given us, their consciences, Paul says, are seared as with a branding iron. That word seared is an interesting word. Only time it's used in the, in the New Testament. It means to be, in our English word, to cauterize, to harden, to, unable to, to be unable to recognize the difference between right and wrong. It could also mean that they have been branded by Satan, meaning that these false teachers belong to their father of lies, Satan. But either way, their conscience has been so hardened, so cauterized, so corrupt, that they just keep on spewing lies, even if they are brought to a position of someone telling them what you are saying is wrong. They just continue on and on and on because their consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. We see much of that today, do you not? You see false teachers on TV, on YouTube, who even if they have been caught in some kind of scandal, we see them months later back on the platform spewing their erroneous teachings. And those erroneous teachings, number four, we have our fourth distinction, our fourth characteristic of false teaching And that's in verse 3. 
the first part of verse three. Number four, the deceptive content of false teaching. The deceptive content of false teaching. Now what we see here in verse three, Paul provides a bit of information regarding what are some of the things that these false teachers, these heretics in Ephesus are teaching. Well, in verse three he says, these are men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be greatly shared in those by who believe and know the truth. Now, Paul doesn't get into great detail about the false teaching, but what we do see here is that the false teaching about which Timothy has to tackle, this false teaching is rooted in asceticism or legalism or a mix of both. Gnosticism, which was on the rise during that time, and plus there was Judaism, which was trying to force Christians to still obey the law and circumcision and so forth. This is what these false teachers were trying to thrust upon believers, commanding them to treat their bodies harshly, giving up certain things, living a rigorous lifestyle by avoiding marriage, being celibate, uh, don't eat these foods. And these teachers were likely those who considered, as we talked about before last week, they considered matter, physical things to be evil and only spiritual things to be good. So stay away from marriage, bad. Stay away from the consummation of marriage, bad. Stay away from these foods, bad. Because they're morally repugnant, they're wrong, they say. And in order to continue with a right standing with God, you have to follow these mandates these rules that I'm placing on you. And false teachers love authority. They love power. They love control. All cults, you see the leaders, they love to control their subjects. And that's what we see here. But what's really going on here that Paul draws out is that these false teachers were going against the word of God, against the truth. It's what all false teaching does, all of it. It's clearly deceptive, and it's cleverly deceptive. It contradicts scripture, it dilutes the truth, it mixes error and truth, it binds heavy loads on men and women that God never meant anyone to follow. You think of Matthew 11, come to me, Jesus said, all who are weary and burdened, take my yoke upon you, for it is easy and it is light. My burden is light. This is why we must know the word of God so in an instant we can say, this goes, there's just something not right here. It's going against what I'm reading here. Know the word of God because none of these things that these false teachers are forcing upon Christians, they don't save anyone. They don't sanctify anyone. We've been reading through Colossians at the end of Colossians 2, Paul warns him, you, you're, you're trying to, to follow these elementary principles. Do not handle, do not touch, do not eat. But none of that will save you. It's only the gospel. It's only the Holy Spirit working through you in the word of God. What Christ has already accomplished, that is what saves you. Not all of this nonsense that false teachers are trying to force down your throats. False religion can never take away sin and make one right with God. It's, the, it's only the gospel that can do that. Amen? See, all, all 
false religion has a litany of do's and don'ts. Follow these five pillars. Do these seven sacraments. Do this, do that, and maybe and perhaps you will make it into heaven. But Jesus did all of that, and all false teaching and religion falls woefully short of the truth. Finally, number five, distinguishing mark. And this is not really a distinguishing mark of false teaching, but it's really what I call the decisive blow to false teaching. The decisive blow to false teaching. We see this at the end of verse three to verse five. This is really the antidote to all false teaching. And it's very simple. I think all of you know this. It's nothing other than the word of God, the truth. I mean, this is what Paul has been hammering home. The church of the living God is the pillar and support of the truth. He even says in verse five, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected. It is received with gratitude. Verse five, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God in prayer. This is why church And I think I'm preaching to the choir, but this is something we all need a a wake-up reminder at times. Look, if if you're not in the word of God, you you are susceptible to these false teachings. A soldier who does not know his sword, does not know how to yield it and to to use it in battle, is a useless soldier and will eventually be killed swiftly. Swiftly. A Christian who does not know the word of God inside and out is not, a, is not a diligent student of the word. You are in danger of being tempted by false doctrines and teachers which could damage your faith, upset your faith. And if you're not a believer and you don't know the word, if you're not saved, well, you can apostatize. You will receive God's judgment. You are not coming in line with the truth of God's word. I've seen it over and over. People who profess Christ and yet they read books, they watch TV preachers, they listen to sermons that are obviously false, they continue on and on and on and then they pay the price. Paul said in verse three and four, everything created by God is good. Everything and nothing is to be rejected. Nothing is to be considered taboo but to be received with thanksgiving. How did Paul know this? That everything created by God is good? It's because the word of God says so. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. Paul went back all the way to the beginning where God said, I have created all things very good. It's very good. Paul knew the word of God. He knew the truth. And he's telling Timothy in a sense, Know the word of God. As a pastor, you better know it or else these false teachers are going to succeed. Know that all foods have been declared by Christ and are clean and are able to eat. Genesis 9, God has given us meat to eat, fruit to eat, vegetables to eat. Genesis 2 and 3, God has given the institution of marriage. It's supposed to be a blessing. We are supposed to receive it with thanksgiving. Because God's word says so. That is how you fight against false teachers. That's it. Know the word of God. Study it. Soak it up. 
Make sure it's ready to go like a sword on the side in the sheath that you can take out and fight immediately once false teachings and teachers come your way. Now there's a number of things more I could say about that last part. You know, we can abuse God's good things that he has given us. We don't want to do that. We can abuse food. We can abuse sexual intimacy. We can abuse marriage. But those things Paul is saying that God has given us, enjoy them. Pray and give thanks to God. Be in gratitude for what he has given. Don't let the false teachers say otherwise. Now, in the last minute or two before we partake of the Lord's Supper, before Eric comes up and leads us in that, just a few things I want to give you in terms of application, practical matters, so that you can you know what to do when you spot a false teacher who is spewing doctrines of demons, and so that you can help others who might be engrossed in false teaching. Number one, very easy, well, I wouldn't say easy, but obvious, make certain you are saved. If you are not saved, you are already a part of the kingdom of darkness. You already are a child of wrath. You are already caught up in Satan's traps. Make sure you are saved. Make sure you know the gospel. Make sure you have believed in Christ and repented and that you love the word of God and come to the word of God and so forth. Number two, if you are saved, and I hope you are, sharpen your sword. I already talked about this by reading, studying, and memorizing the word of God. Listen to sermons, attend Bible studies, apply the word, come to equipping hour here where Ronaldo has been doing a phenomenal job teaching about how to rightly interpret scripture. So critical. Number three, if you particularly are uncertain about a false teaching or maybe you're reading a book, you're just, you're not sure if this is good or not, ask an elder, ask a pastor. It's one of the reasons why we are here. Come talk to us. We can tell you if you should be following that leader or not or that teacher. Talk to a trusted Christian friend who knows the word, that they can guide you and help you and lovingly warn you to stay away from that teacher. Number four, run like the wind from false teachers. Run from, expose them even. Warn others about them. Don't be super quick to just listen to anyone because they have nice shiny teeth and a 30,000 member church. Do not be easily fooled. Be like a Acts 17 Berean. At the same token, don't be a heresy hunter, okay? There are a lot of good teachers out there that are solid and, and they're saved, but they might, you might disagree on a couple minor points with them. You know, that doesn't mean they're false teachers, okay? So be careful of being a heresy hunter and making it your life ambition to, you know, go knock out every false teacher that exists. Stick closer to the word of God. And number five, and this will lead us into our time of communion. Be thankful and pray. That's how Paul ends verse five here. Everything, we have to know the word of God and we have to pray. Thank God for his truth. Thank God that he's revealed his truth to us. Thank God that he has saved you. 
that he has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ, that you are no longer in the darkness, but you are in light. Thank God that he has rescued you from error and lies and from you falling away so that you would end up in hell, but now you are going to glory to be with Christ forever because of what he accomplished on the cross for you. Be thankful. As we said this morning, pray. Pray in gratitude, Paul said in Philippians 4. Pray and be thankful. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word so that we may know the truth, live the truth, apply the truth, and that, Lord, we can be aware of that there are false teachings out there and that we can expose them, rebuke them, and warn others of them. We know that they even arise in the church at times, so help us to be vigilant. We know that there are wolves in in sheep's clothing, but help us to cling to your word and cling to you and to lovingly help and pastor and shepherd and help others, Lord, who um, might be uh, caught up in a false teacher, and may they be um, disattached from those false teachers so that they might be attached to you, the Savior. And it's in Christ's name we all pray. Amen.